We're going to continue our study a little bit in Haggai, but mostly in Zechariah today. And what we're going to see is a fulfillment in writing of what God describes here in Isaiah 28. Because God has put his word together in such a way that you can't just pick it up and read it and understand it. Certain parts you can that are very basic, that are very easy to understand. Other parts of it, you can't do it. That's why people say, well, I can't understand it. And that's why other people say, well, it's full of lies. Well, here's why. And we will see that when we get into to Zechariah today. Let's pick it up here in verse 12. Okay. Isaiah 28 and verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest he gives to the weary. Now that's to us, that's rest from our sins and so forth. This is the refreshing, yet they were not willing to hear. See, because we all have free moral agency and we must, when we hear, we must obey, we must believe. And then all of that is to develop into the love of God. Okay. So here's what happens. Verse 13. So then the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Okay. That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Okay? Now that's what it is to the world. But let's come up here to verse 9. Let's see what it is then to us. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Now think about that for a minute, that everything that we do in studying the Bible and studying and restudying and restudying, because it's layer upon layer, spiritually speaking, that God has to reveal it. Now we know this. We know this. Sabbath, holy days, and the calculated Hebrew calendar are the things that give us understanding of God's purpose, of what he's doing, of prophecy, and everything that God is doing. And those are the things that the world will not hear. So then they can't understand it. And they fall and they're broken, but not to us. Okay. And whom shall he make understand doctrine? Those who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. You have to have a basic knowledge of the Bible that you learn from beginning obedience until you come to the point that you can begin to understand. And Eduardo's message was a very good example of advanced learning in the Bible. 
and with God's Spirit within us that helps us draw close to God. See? That's what's important. Okay? But there are two sides to that coin. If we understand that it's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, then we can understand the Scriptures, which we will see when we come to the book of Zechariah here in just a little bit. Okay? Now, let's come to Haggai. Let's just finish up something here in Haggai, and then we'll come back to Zechariah after the break because then we won't see what I just covered in Isaiah 28 is exactly how Zechariah is written. Okay. However, here's another aspect of understanding the Word of God. And I want you to, to do this. Combined in all of the books that go with this, you have Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, the ninth chapter. Now, Daniel 10 and 11 are very difficult to understand, and we will get Carl Franklin's research for you on that sometime here, not too far down the road. But in the first chapter, we, we are told that Consider your ways. In other words, look at your life and repent what you're doing and do what God wants. Okay. So God says, if you do this, let's pick it up here in uh, verse 12 of chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared before the Lord. Okay. Now what happens with that? Once you do that, this is much like when we were called we're going along our way and our lives are all messed up and we cry out to God and he reaches down and he begins to call us. And if we obey and respond to God, then here's what happens. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the message of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Okay. Now what happens with that? Okay. God helps you in motivation, in desire, and in love to do what he says. Notice how that is in verse 14. So what we're also talking about is what people would say, New Testament doctrine. But you see, the whole Bible is filled with New Testament doctrine. We'll see some of that when we get to, to Zechariah. 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of of Judea, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Now, what this tells us is this. When the leaders of the people are close to God and obey God and are stirred up in what they need to do in carrying out what God wants them to do, then God is with them, and notice what happens then. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. That's what's important. That's how we understand. Okay. Now, on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So that's why you have to go back and read Ezra and Nehemiah and also the book of Esther, tie all of those things together in in the sequence of time, because from the time that the temple was completed in 515 B.C., there was almost 200 years of relative peace because of the blessing of God. The book of Esther tells us that many of the other nations, the people repented and started keeping the laws of God. And you read the proclamation by Cyrus about sending the Jews back home. He also gave a command, as did Darius the king who followed him, that all the nations of the the people of the nations around Judea would give provisions, food, money, animals for sacrifice, etc. And they were all blessed. So that's a thing that we, we can find when we get, get to the to the book of Zechariah. But the thing that is important here is this. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he was to stir up the Spirit of God that was within him with the laying on of hands. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God works in us and with us as we yield to God and desire the way of God. More and more and more and more. Now think of it this way. Do we not eat food every day? What happens if we don't eat food? (laughs) Well, sooner or later, you die. Okay? Now, that's why we need to yield to God. And remember what God says about the Laodiceans at the end. What is their condition? They're what? They're neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. Okay? It's just like you take a hot cup of tea or coffee, and if you let it sit, 
and don't drink it while it's hot, it becomes lukewarm and you taste it and you And that's what God says that he does with those who are lukewarm. But if we come to God and stir ourselves up with God's spirit, then God will grant us his spirit and we will have a closeness to God. We'll have more understanding of his word. We will be able to function in this world of darkness that is absolutely crumbling right in front of our very eyes. So let's go ahead and keep that in mind when we come back from the break. We'll begin in Zechariah, the first chapter. Now let's continue on. Let's see how it is that God has arranged the different prophecies. And we will see this in virtually every one of the books of of the prophets. Okay? First of all, there will be something about the present time, just like we saw with Haggai in building the temple and how God would bless them. Then we have things that are near, ready to happen in the present time. Then all of a sudden, boom, right out of nowhere, there's something that has to do with the first coming of Christ or his second coming. Seems to be clear out of the place. And then we also have things pertaining to the spiritual kingdom of God. All of those are what you might say scrambled together with line upon line and precept upon precept to here, there a little, and there a little. Now let's see an example of that in the final verses of the book of Haggai. Okay. Let's pick that up in Haggai 2 and verse 20. Now, as you're turning there, make a note that how quickly some of these prophecies came to Haggai and to Zechariah right after they came back to the area of Judea. Okay, now verse 20. And a second time the word of the Lord came to Haggai in the 24th day of the month, saying, now it came to him twice in that day. All right. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judea, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and riders and horses and their their riders shall come down, each one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So, right in the middle of that, we have two verses which pertain to 
the second coming of Christ. Then it ends with the blessing upon Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel, the governor. Then we will see later, when we get to chapter 3 and 4, which we've covered before, that Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel are likened to the two witnesses that we find in Revelation. Okay? Revelation 11. Okay? Now, let's come to Zechariah, the first chapter, and let's see that it, it took some months, and then the word again came to Zechariah. So we find this in verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, now, go back and look at the, the years that it's mentioned with Darius and see how closely all of these prophecies came together. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, the son of Edu, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, you say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me. Now see how this ties in with everything in the Bible. You come to God, you repent to God, and he'll respond to you. Okay. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. Well, look, it didn't take them very many months to slack up off of, on what they were doing in building the temple, okay? Now notice the promise. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Now that's a promise. Then he gives them a warning again. And when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, these people were hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. Okay? So he said, verse 3, Be not as your fathers to whom the former prophets have proclaimed to them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil doings, but they did not hearken, nor Attend to me, says the Lord. All right? Now think about that. Isn't that the way that human nature is? You say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And then you go down the road a little further and you forget all about it. Okay? So he says, I want you to learn a lesson. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have the histories that are here, so that we can learn from their mistakes and not do the same thing. Okay. So, Zechariah tells them this, God's message, verse 5. Your fathers, where are they? Well, they all died in Babylon, right? Because they were there 70 years. And the prophets, do they live forever? No. God has to raise them up. Now notice this. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded 
my servants, the prophets. Did they not overtake your fathers? In other words, remember what was said. And don't do the same thing. See, this is why today we have the whole Bible. Okay. Did they not overtake your fathers? And they returned and said, as the Lord of hosts pleased to do to us according to our ways and according to our doings, so he has done. So, again, acknowledging with repentance. Now, verse 7. Now, on the 24th day of the 11th month, so that just two and a half months later, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, the son of Edu, the prophet, saying, I've watched by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. Now, we're going to look at the horses here in Zechariah, the first chapter. A lot of people and pundits and uh, prophets and Protestants say that these horses are the same ones as Revelation 6. But they're not. We will see that these horses are not the same because the ones in Revelation 6 are for destruction. They are for death. Leading up to the departing of the heavens like a scroll. So keep that in mind as as we read this. I watched by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees in the ravine, and behold, there were red, speckled, and white horses. Okay? Now, in the book of Revelation, you have white, you have red, you have black, you have pale. All of those for destruction. Verse 9, then I said, oh, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who talked with me uh, said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Now, what does that mean? That means that God has spirit beings, some of them like horses, some of them like something else that we've seen other places, plus we've seen in Revelation the seven eyes of the Lord. And we see in Second Chronicles 15 that the eyes of the Lord go true and fro through the earth. So this is how God keeps track of what's going on. Now, he was right in the process of having the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. There had to be peace. These spirit beings, though like horses, were to bring peace so that they could finish the temple. Nehemiah came later and built the walls, and that's important. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that in a little, little bit. Now, verse 11, and they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth is still and at peace. So that's why 
these horses cannot be the ones of Revelation 6. Everything in Revelation 6 is for destruction. This is peace. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy upon Jerusalem and upon the cities of Judah against whom you have cursed these 70 years? See, so this is a present prophecy. And the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry aloud, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Now that's why he was going to build a temple. Now, why was that temple, why did that have to be built? To come all the way down over 500 years later to Jesus Christ, who has prophesied he would come suddenly into his temple. And we find that fulfilled in John, the second chapter, okay? Verse 15, and with great anger, I am angry at the heathen that are at ease and that I was but a little angry, but they furthered the affliction. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercies. That's why they were able to build. And actually, they had a time from the time of getting the temple finished right on down through the time of Alexander the Great. They had relative peace, prosperity. Jerusalem was thriving. Trade was taking place. And at that time, you had Ezra and what was known as the Great Synagogue. And the Great Synagogue was a gathering of 120 of 120 of the priests and under Ezra's direction they recopied and canonized the whole Old Testament up to the book of Malachi which was the last book added to the Old Testament okay so during that time there was peace there was prosperity. There were people. There were children. We'll see that all in just a little bit here. Okay, so he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I return to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, because they just laid the cornerstone of the temple with Haggai. And a line shall be drawn over Jerusalem. Verse 17. Cry aloud again, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall yet overflow through prosperity. That was in that period after the temple was built. And the Lord will yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. 
Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, four horns. Okay, now what are these horns? All right. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the four horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Okay. Now that is those conquering nations that took away the ten tribes of Israel and then took away the Jews. Now verse 20, And the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he spoke, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man lifted up his head, but they have come to terrify them, to throw down horns of the nations who lifted up their horns over the land of Judah. So God cleaned it all out, got rid of all the war. All right? Now then, let's come to chapter 2. Let's see how this all flows along. A lot of these things, and, and we will see how that, like in many places in the prophets, it talks about the current time, it talks about the near future, it talks about the faraway future, talks about the first coming of Christ, talks about the second coming of Christ, and all of those just kind of put right in the middle of something that's of a completely different topic. And that's what makes it difficult to understand and why you need the Sabbath and the holy days and the flow of them uh, so that you can put the scriptures together. All right, chapter 2 and verse 1. And I lifted up on my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a, a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? He said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth and its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me went out, and another angel went out to meet him. Okay. Now, what does this show you? This shows you God's blessing of his angels to help and inspire the people to do what God wanted them to do. Okay. That's why, right at the first, he says, return to me, I'll return to you. Okay. Now, when God returns to you, then the question becomes, what are you going to do? Okay. Let's go on. Chapter 2. Verse 4. And he said to him, Run, speak to the young men, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited. That's right there at that time. As towns without walls for the multitude of men and livestock in her. Now then, this is a projection forward without walls, meaning they don't need any defense. But Nehemiah came, and they built the walls later. Okay. And I, says the Lord, will be to her for a wall of fire all around, and will be the glory in her midst. So God is saying, I'm here, 
My angels are here. We're going to do what I want everyone to do. Verse 6. Ho, ho, flee from the land of the north. Now, in order to come from Persia, you have to come from the north and come directing down south in order to come to Jerusalem. So that's what it's talking about. For I have scattered you as the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Ho, O Zion, escape, you who live with the daughters of Babylon. That's contemporary, bringing more people out of Babylon. There were, there were three, how shall we say, waves of exiles coming back out of Babylon to Jerusalem and Judea over a 20-year period. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory, he sent me unto the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall be a a prize in their servants, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Okay. In other words, just look at what's happening at the present time, and you will see that it's the hand of God who's inspiring it to be done. Now, I can look at that in this way and know how that felt. There was a time when the Radio Church of God and Worldwide Church of God, later renamed from the Radio Church of God, at Ambassador College. When they started, they were small. They were zealous. They were doing what God wanted to do. The campus expanded. It was beautiful. It was nice. It was lovely. It was really a, a wonderful place to be. And I was there from uh, 61 to 64 and graduated in 64, got married in 65. But while we were there, the students were praying, the students were studying, they were all talking about God's way and God's truth and what they were learning, and everyone was, it was a happy and joyous place to be. But then, bam, something happened. Something happened. Dolores and I went back there to visit the campus. And it was like about three years later, four years later. Now, in all the dormitories they had down in the basement, they had prayer booths. And at the time that we were going to school, all the students were praying and studying, growing in grace and knowledge, and it was really good. Okay? So we come back on the visit to visit, and what did we find? The students weren't praying as much. Some of the prayer closets were used to store. What happened to the atmosphere on the college? The atmosphere of God being with them was further removed. And that was something. 
And then what happened with that? All the troubles and difficulties came. So here we find God is saying, I'm with you. You're going to build. You're going to plant. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory, he sent me unto the nations who plundered you. For he who, who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my, my hand over them, and they shall be a prize for their servants, and they shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for I have come, I have dwelt in your midst, says the Lord. Now that means at that time with those people. But this is also a prophecy that can be rejected can be projected into the future, just like I explained there about the college in Pasadena. Okay. Now notice, and this happened during that 200-year period. Verse 11, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. Now, you could take this one verse, and you could also project this into what Christ would be doing when he raised up this church. See? So here we have another principle in prophecy, a duality, and sometimes a multiplicity, meaning that the prophecy would be fulfilled kind of like in cycles down through time. So we see the same thing here. Okay. Verse 12, And the Lord shall possess Judah, his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Okay. We see part of that almost today, right? Did not the Jews come back and take Jerusalem in 1967? Yes, indeed. Okay. Now, there's going to be a third temple built. So keep your eyes on that. We've covered that in many different ways, but that's going to be interesting. And the only thing I can say about the temple being built in Jerusalem again is this. When they start building it, you know there's not much time left. Okay. Verse 13, you can also tie this into that period when God came and put his presence with the people and in the temple, and also to the return of Christ. Verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is risen out of his holy dwelling place. Okay. Now then, we come to chapter 3 and chapter 4. These are very interesting. We've covered this concerning the two witnesses. Okay, So I just draw your attention to it rather than go through in each detail with it because we've recently covered it, that the two witnesses, the type of them was Joshua, the high priest, and Jerubbabel, the son of Selatiel, the governor of Judea. 
Okay? So let's come here to chapter 4. Chapter 3 is the repentance granted to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And this will also be a type of the repentance that is granted to the high priest that will be appointed to the third temple. Okay. So there are going to be some tremendous things happening over there in Jerusalem, but they've got to get rid of Hamas first. All right. Okay, chapter 4. Let's pick it up in, in verse 8. Okay. Talks about grace, grace. Grace was given to those that came back to build the temple. Grace, grace also refers in a prophecy of verse 7 to the grace coming with Christ. Okay. Now, verse 8. The word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hands shall also finish it. He shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord. Now that goes right back to Revelation 1, Revelation 4 and 5. These are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Okay. And we know that that is happening all the time. Now, verse 11. And I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left stand? And he answered me again, and I answered him again, and, he, and said to him, what are these two olive branches besides the two golden pipes emptying golden oil out of them? And he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, Now notice verse 14. Verse 14 summarizes and prophesies of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. All right? So hold your place here, and let's come to Revelation 11. Because we will see that that's how they are identified. Now, that's going to be interesting when it comes to when the two witnesses are raised up. Everybody's speculating when they are going to be raised up. Well, if you want to know, we can come, come to that in a, a very easy conclusion. All right? Let's just do a little sidebar here in a little bit. So let's pick it up here in verse, 11, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, Revelation. Then the angel gave me a measuring rod, like a staff saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. But leave out the court that is in within the temple area and do not measure it because it has been given up to the Gentiles and they shall trample upon the holy city 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they shall prophesy 
a thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now keep that in mind, and we'll cover that in just a bit. Clothed in sackcloth. And as I have said, they're not coming from anybody in the church. And anybody who says they're the two witnesses, you can eliminate them very easily. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not clothed in sackcloth and ashes. And fire is not coming out of their mouths. Okay? Let's read it, verse 4. These are the two olive trees, Zechariah 3 and 4, and the two lampstands, we just read in Zechariah 4, that stand before the God of the earth. So this is pretty powerful stuff here. And if anyone attempts to harm them, fire will go out of their mouths and devour the enemies, and if anyone attempts to harm them, they must be killed in this manner. And they have authority to shut heavens so that no rain may fall in the days of their prophecy. And they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they will. Okay. So we have them identified. Verse 4, the two olive trees. Now, how do we know when they will start their prophecy. Some people are saying that they start at the beginning of the seven years. Not true. How long is their prophecy? A thousand two hundred and sixty days. That's what it says. And then you know that they are finally killed by the beast. And then their bodies lie in the street of Jerusalem, and everyone will see that and make merry and send gifts to one another. Okay? Now then, they're there three and a half days. That means they were dead. And they're the first two to be resurrected. All right? Now, here's how you figure when they start. They're the first two resurrected, right? When does the resurrection take place? What holy day pictures that? Pentecost. All right? So if you write for our Daniel and Revelation series, we have the chart that measures it out, that shows how you know where they begin. What do you do? You take the last Pentecost, and you count backward, what? 1,260 days. Boom! You have when they start, right? Okay. When is that? Shortly before the man of sin, the son of perdition, comes into the temple and declares himself to be God. Okay. Now then. When did the beast and false prophet come to their end? When did they come to their end? Revelation 19, last part. 
First resurrection is on Pentecost, seven last plagues from Pentecost through trumpets, and we all return with Christ from the sea of glass. And what happens? He brings the plague against all of the armies that are fighting, and all their flesh comes off their bones, Zechariah 14. And all the birds of heaven come and clean up the mess. And an angel takes the beast and the false prophet and casts them what? Into the lake of fire. Okay? So you know when a beast and the false prophets receive their 42 months. See? God calculates the time with the two witnesses in days. 42 months is different because some months have 30 days and some months have 29 days. Okay? So you count back by months. And that's how you come to the point that they really begin in their power and also the miracles and signs and wonders by the false prophet. So that's how you figure it out. And if you don't know the holy days and you don't understand how the, the book of Revelation is laid out by the holy days, you're never going to know when they start and when they finish. Okay? Now back here to the book of Zechariah. Okay? Now let's take chapter 5. Okay, what a chapter 5. This is very mysterious. Okay, let's read it. Chapter 5. Then I again lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length about 20 cubits, and it's with 10 cubits. And he said to me, this is the curse that goes forth over the face of the whole earth. What's another way of explaining that? What is the curse that is coming upon the whole world at the end time? Revelation 12, 9. Satan, the devil, deceives them. The whole world. They worship the beast. Revelation 13. And Satan does what? He gives power and authority to the beast. Right? Yes. With the signing of the peace pact, Daniel 9.27, that's the beginning of the last seven years. Right in the middle of it, that's when the great tribulation begins. That's when the beast goes into the temple of God and says, I'm God. Now, why would he do that? Because these two witnesses out here say they are from God. But the beast says, they're my enemies. <laughs> okay. 
And every time the beast sends someone to get them, pooh, fire goes out of their mouth to devour them. Well, how does the false prophet respond? He does great signs and wonders. Revelation 13, right? And what does he do? He makes fire come down from heaven. So here you have a fiery clash between the false prophet and the two witnesses of God. Now, how's that for a movie? How would you like to make a movie on that? Huh? Okay, let's go on. Verse 4, And I will bring it forth, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the houses of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house, and shall devour it, and its timbers, and its stones. That's the complete destruction of the religious system of this world. Now, we'll see that in just a minute here. Then the angel who talked with me went forth and said to me, Now lift up your eyes and see what this is that goes forth. And I said, What is it? And he says, It is a measuring container that goes forth. And moreover, he said, this is their resemblance throughout all the earth. And behold, a round lead cover was lifted up, and a woman was sitting upon the measuring container. And he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down into the midst of the measuring container, and he thrust down the round lid cover over its opening. Okay. Now let's see what this means. And I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, two women came out. What are the two women? Okay. Let's look at it this way. What is Babylon the Great called? A harlot. Isn't that a woman? Okay. Let's see what's happened with Islam. Islam and the Catholics are coming together, two women. And they will control the religions of the earth. They'll all come together. So that's the best I can understand that, okay? This is wickedness. Now verse 9, And I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, the two women came out, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the measuring container between the earth and heaven. And I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they going with the measuring container? And he said to me, to build a house that is in the land of Shinar. Now, where was that? Shinar was where the Tower of Babel was built. 
And what happened at the Tower of Babel? They were worshiping, what? Nimrod and Semiramis, right? And God confounded their languages. So this shows a gathering together of the religions going right back to the founding basis of Babylon. That's why in the book of Revelation that this world's religious system is called what? Babylon the Great. The whole system, religious and nations. Babylon the Great. Well, this is a good place to end, but that's the best we can do with prophecy up to here. So when you're studying prophecy, remember that there are different grades of prophecy mixed in with one another, and this is how God has caused it so that only those who love him and obey him will understand it. Those who don't, they won't be able to understand it. It becomes a great mystery. And so they rely upon their own philosophies and their own religions. Okay, we'll see if we can make some more progress and and finish the the uh, uh, book of Zechariah here pretty quick.